Support for this podcast comes from Avature ATS, an applicant tracking system that redefines user experience for candidates, recruiters and hiring managers. Just listen to one of the many ways in which L'Oreal USA has improved their hiring process with Avature, as told by Edward Dias, Director of Recruitment Intelligence and Innovation. Since we've been using Avature ATS globally, we have been able to massively improve our communication rate with candidates during and following their application. Uh, before over a million people worldwide would never get contacted. Um, but with this smart automation and flexible processes, we've been able to change that. And that's been a huge achievement. Visit avature.net, that's A-V-A-T-U-R-E dot net, to learn why global market leaders like L'Oreal choose Avature to extend the candidate experience from shoulder tap to first day. There's been more of scientific discovery, more of technical advancement and material progress in your lifetime and mine than in all the ages of history. Hi everyone, this is Matt Alder. Welcome to episode 225 of the Recruiting Future podcast. Hiring ex-service personnel, or veteran hiring, if you're in the US, is a topic that gets nowhere near as much bandwidth as it deserves. So how should employers be behaving and communicating to effectively tap into this incredible talent pool? My guest this week is Tim Redfern, Managing Director, Defence at Amy. In the interview, Tim talks about his own experience transitioning his career after leaving the Royal Navy, the broader challenges facing ex-forces personnel, and shares some excellent advice to employers. Thanks to Safa, the Armed Forces charity, for their help setting up the interview as part of their Friendly to Forces campaign, an initiative to encourage employers to show their willingness and support to hire forces leavers. Hi, Tim, and welcome to the podcast. Nice to be here, Matt. Good to speak to you. An absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Could you just introduce yourself and tell everyone what you do? Sure, Matt. Hi, my name is Tim Redfan. I'm the Managing Director for Defence in Amy, and uh, we have a number of quite large contracts in uh, defence with the MOD. Uh, we look after all of the UK MOD defence estate from uh, barracks to uh, runways to uh, bunkers to hospitals. We also look after 51,000 of the married quarters in old uh, old parlance. And we also look after the uh, MD main building. And we run a joint venture, which looks after uh, 2,300 vehicles worldwide for the British Army. Fantastic. So could you tell us a little bit about your sort of background story and how you got to do what you do now? So I had a quick eight years in the Royal Navy. I found myself uh, in Hong Kong. Having had a great, uh, a, a great time, learned a lot about leadership, about people, uh, about, uh, about uh, you know, managing stress in difficult situations, uh, and then made a transition out of the Royal Navy, say, in 1997 uh, in Hong Kong into industry. And uh, from there, I've been uh, working in sort of defense outsourcing for the last about 17, 18 years. And I think actually the, the, the transition out of armed forces no matter how you know, long or short you've done, it's very difficult, very challenging. And you end up, uh, you know, it's difficult because 
you are generally an expert in the field that you've left and the, the transition can be pretty scary. So um, I spent uh, uh, one or two years doing a job that wasn't the job I thought I would do. Uh, I got into, uh, into maritime ship sales, but then you know, moved into uh, defense and defense outsourcing and actually spent the last 17 years uh, in the defense market working with like-minded people I hope delivering value. So, I mean, you mentioned there the the the, the challenges that that, that ex service personnel can can face when they're when they're when they're kind of sort of leaving and finding a job. Could you sort of tell us a little bit more about that? What are the typical challenges that people face, particularly that they sort of face in face in sort of twenty nineteen? Sure. So, I think that there are a number of sort of macro through to the micro issues. I think one thing I hear quite often is that uh, people say, "Well, do you know, what? I haven't had an interview in the last twenty years." My first interview was when I joined the Corps of Royal Engineers or the Royal Navy or the Royal Air Force. So people are, are, are nervous and lacking confidence in terms of those initial interview skills. I think there are some other things around um, the tr- translation of transferable skills and the translation of qualification and competence and experience into uh, language that people in Civil Street can generally understand. Uh, and I think also there tends to be a lack of, often a lack of confidence because people are moving into an environment uh, that they are fundamentally unfamiliar with. Uh, it, is, it is much less collegiate. It is much less uh, um, um, you know, m- much less supportive than in the armed forces. Um, people then move from having, you know, a number of things uh, done for them and with them to potentially being left uh, to almost fend for themselves. Uh, and, you know, often in industry, and I found this when I, when I left the Royal Navy, that, um, you know, generally when you're in the, in, in the armed forces, people are generally always pulling the same way in the same direction. And, you know, it's not always the case in, in industry or in commerce or in, uh, you know, in, in the private sector. So I think there is a, there's a real challenge around the corporate culture bit, um, which I think, uh, you know, we and uh, employers have an obligation and a duty to help people out with. And are there any common misconceptions that employers have about recruiting ex-surface personnel? Yes, I think there are. I think... Uh, employers uh, can take a view that the experience of ex-service personnel is too narrow, uh, that uh, they often lack some of the broader skills such as, you know, commerciality, experience in finance, experience in procurement. uh, And whilst they assume they're very good at people management, which I think is invariably true, uh, I think employers do and can take a view that uh, they just haven't got the right breadth of experience uh, which they need Uh, and generally I would take a view that those skills are entirely transferable uh, uh, and uh, can be added on Uh, and so I take a slightly different view but I think I think there is there is that piece that uh, a a perception around uh, never worked in in uh, you know in the private sector never worked in city street uh, and uh, hasn't got the right range of skills that industry commerce finance whatever might want 
obviously this is a, a you know a fantastic um, talent pool of people um, and I know that that many employers want to be doing a, a better job at tapping in and, and and recruiting in that talent pool how should they be thinking and behaving to make sure they're doing this effectively and um, supporting people in in the right way so I think there are a number of things that uh, employers can do I think the first thing is that you need to be um, more ambitious in the way that the role is defined uh, and in the requirements around competent skills and qualifications. Uh, so, for example, a requirement around a specific qualification um, may or may not be required. Uh, and often that is a bar to ex-service now um, applying for these jobs because they, they feel they haven't got the right initial qualification. I think employers uh, need to think about the route to market and channel to market and how they reach into those organizations. Um, you know, we we operate through a career transition partnership, through forces families, through office associations, through Bill Force, you know, through, through uh, a number of veterans uh, associations. And employees need to, I think, reach into that pool of people differently with a different mindset in terms of what skills do we actually want. And actually, even if uh, somebody hasn't got the exact requirements, um, you know, can we, can we add those on? Can we put them through development or training in order to give them the, 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 the last bit of the jigsaw? And I think it, it, it's much more about having a more rounded, uh, a more pragmatic view on, on people rather than going through a very uh, binary zero one you know, qualification or competence framework. This is not always easy to transfer the, or, or translate those skills from a military background into a civilian one. And in terms of, um, you sort of mentioned reaching out through through various channels, what would your advice be around the kind of message that, that, that would that would resonate if employers are trying to improve their marketing in this um, in this area? So I think the, the, the as you say, and rightly say, the messaging is important. Um, I think the message has to be that employers are, uh, you know, an inclusive um, organisation, and that they uh, uh, respect, you know, backgrounds, ethnicity, competence, qualification, experience of of people. I think employers also, and this is in some ways controversial, but I think employers need to look at the market rate for roles and help service leavers understand their value in the marketplace. And, you know, one of the, there, there are two questions. One I alluded to earlier, which is, well, you know, I've never had an interview in, uh, in uh, 20 years, and that's a problem for me. And the second question that often trips people up is, is the interview question around, so what's your expectation around salary? Uh, and because, um, you know, typically servicemen and women have never worked in that uh, sort of competitive environment where there is a you know maybe a combination of a, a salary allowances potentially a bonus or potentially some sort of share incentive scheme you know it's very difficult for people to say well, actually you know, my ideal salary is is x thousand pounds and i think employers need to help people to understand their their true value in the marketplace uh, and sometimes you know not trade on potentially a and again this is controversial but not trade on a discount because there is a lack of certainty around people's value 
in the marketplace. I think that's an, a, an incredibly important point and certainly one that I think employers should be should most definitely be taking on board. Tell us a little bit more about what, what Amy do to recruit and retain ex-service personnel. So you know, my, my business is a, is a, is a defence business. So really, uh, you know, for many ex-servicemen and women, it, it's a home game in that we talk and deal with clients and customers who are in the serving military. So there's an immediate intimacy and understanding around language, culture, expectation, and service delivery. Um, but the rest of Amy also reaches out, you know, from our rail sector, our consulting uh, um, sector, our power utilities businesses. So what we do, as I said earlier, we do talk and reach into um, the careers uh, and resettlement organizations. So we just had a very successful day with BuildForce about 10 days ago where we're able to talk to a number of um, service leavers that BuildForce through Caroline Logan have got together. Uh, and we're able to, if you like, it's almost a, a grown-up milk round for, you know, a milk round which you, know, which you would have had for university graduates, almost a milk round for servicemen and women. But we reach into uh, service leavers through a number of those service organizations. Uh, and even if we haven't got immediate roles which fit those people, you know, with their complete agreement uh, around uh, collection of their personal data and, and their agreement to store data, um, we keep CVs on file where we can and where, where, where we're able to, we say, with their, with their permission. Uh, and, we, you know, we're able to... Look into the future in terms of future roles and future requirements, and you know, reach into people even if there isn't a role at that time. But you know, a, a, a sort of a um, a forward look in terms of future requirements. So I think I think uh, you know, reaching in through those transition organisations is really important. You know, we do try and take a fairly um, agnostic view in terms of what the role really requires uh, and try and uh, take a view as to whether the qualifications, competence, experience of service leavers will fit. Uh, and if it doesn't fit, but they're close and they're close, what can we do? I should also say, Matt, that, you know, this isn't a, you know, positive discrimination for service leavers. It's about leveling, it's about leveling the playing field uh, such that service leavers have the same opportunity and the same uh, uh, ability to reach in to organizations like Amy. So it isn't positive discrimination. It's about leveling a playing field and making sure the opportunities are understood right across the marketplace. Tim, thank you very much for talking to me. My pleasure. My thanks to Tim Redfern. You can subscribe to this podcast in Apple Podcasts or via your podcasting app of choice. Please also follow us on Instagram, search for Recruiting Future to find the show. If you're a Spotify or Pandora user, you can also listen to the show there. You can find all the past episodes at www.rfpodcast.com. On that site, you can subscribe to the mailing list and find out more about working with me. Thanks very much for listening. I'll be back next time. And I hope you'll join me. This is my show.